Welcome again to our day communities. Um, it's great uh, to see so many of you. Um, uh, let me just explain. Um, normally we just have a, a guy up the front giving a talk the whole time and no one interrupts them. But these Bible seminars are a wonderful opportunity for us to interrupt. And I'm really keen for you to interrupt me. Uh, just put up your hand and ask a question or, or, or whatever. Uh, that would be really good because I think it'll make your learning experience a lot more, uh, well, I think deeper in many ways. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to ask the questions that you really want to ask about the text. Okay, so um, hear me as saying I'm really keen for you to stop me um, and, and ask your questions. Um, um, but let's have a look at this passage that's uh, before us now. So we're looking at uh, James um, and uh, the reason that we're going back over a bit of the section that we uh, looked at last week is because we didn't get anywhere near finishing. Uh, and again, that's because it's uh, interactive. And I don't suspect I'll finish my talk for this week either because I'm hoping that you will interrupt me. Um, and that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad for the experience and I hope you are too. Um, let me pray as we come to this and then um, we'll get cracking. Father, we're so grateful that we have this opportunity to gather together to hear from you. Um, we pray that you would help us now as we wrestle with your word. Uh, give us the boldness and the courage to speak up and ask a way. But most of all, Father, we pray that you through your spirit would work powerfully in our hearts to convince us of the truth and empower us to live by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm... Uh, a big fan of memory verses. I like memorizing the scriptures. Um, hands up if you yourself have memorized scripture in the past. Hands up if you've memorized more than 20 verses. 20, 50 verses? No, a bit hesitant. Okay. Um, I really want to encourage you to memorize uh, scripture. If you're not in the habit of doing that, I, I just want to encourage you to try and do it. And in particular, scriptures that um, cover a whole range of different areas, because I think the Bible encourages us to meditate on God's word. And when you've got opportunities where you may not have your Bible with you, uh, it's a good way of bringing it to mind is if you've memorized it. Uh, on top of that, um, they do come to mind. I think the Holy Spirit puts them in your mind uh, if you've memorized it and committed them to, to, to memory. Um, when a situation you're facing uh, is very similar to the, the verse that you're talking about and it, and it enables you uh, to think of what uh, God wants you to do in that particular situation. So I'm encouraging you to explore it. Um, but uh, the reason why I'm thinking of it is there was one particular verse or a couple of verses that I learned from very early on as a, as a young boy in Sunday school that have stuck with me uh, till now, which is many years later. Uh, and they're Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Anyone, th these are classic verses I think most people would have memorized. And if you've memorized it, you can say it with me. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or make your path straight. Um, uh, one of the key things that we're trying to do um, and James is encouraging us to do as we wrestle with this letter of James is to trust God and to submit to him in all he says. 
And the big issue that we saw last week was this double-mindedness, this idea of um, chasing after what the world wants on the one hand and chasing after what God wants on the other hand. And what we discover is that we're often coming up with what we think is the appropriate way to go, my own understanding of the events, rather than um, following what God uh, wants us to do, which is God's um, understanding of the events. And that verse is all about encouraging you to trust God. Don't go your own understanding. Trust God, go His uh, way of doing things. All right. Now, what I want to do is quickly go over verses 13 to 17 because we didn't even get there last week in this group. I feel like it's a really important section. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and summarize verses 13 to 17 in one go. Um, and then I'll, I'll give you time for questions at the end of that section. Okay, so if you can think of questions, I'm encouraging you to do it. That would be fantastic at the end. All right, let's have a look at verses 13 to 17. Um, remember the key theme last week was uh, that we're facing trials of various kinds. And those trials were God's way of refining and strengthening our faith. That is what we spoke about last week was that God was much more concerned about the health of our faith than our physical health, if I can put it like that. And in particular, whether I'm um, comfortable, happy or rich or whatever it is. Because if you have a genuine living faith that endures to the end, the, the point is you will receive all comfort and happiness and riches and everything else to boot on top of that in the very end. God is planning to give it to you. He wants you to have it all. But for the now, the normal Christian life we discovered was facing trials of various kinds. The normal Christian life is hard. And I made the point last week, if you're finding being a Christian hard, well, welcome to normality. That's what it's meant to be like. But this doesn't mean there's no joy. There is joy to be found, not in the circumstances that I go through, which are hard, but um, in what God is seeking to do through those circumstances, in what God is achieving. Um, it's a testing time, remember, where God is seeking to strengthen and refine our faith. And that strengthening and refining of the faith is where we ought to be finding the joy. But it's a test. And what we will do regularly is discover that we have failed the test again and again. Uh, and in verses 13 to 17, what we ought to notice is that the words for trial and temptation are the same word. Actually, one's a noun, one's a, a verb, but they're the same idea, um, same root word in the original Greek. Um, so if God uses trials back in verses 2 to 3 to strengthen our faith and bring us to maturity... Then the question really that immediately jumps out if you're reading the original language is how can he say in verse 13 that he doesn't test or tempt anyone? Because there's a, they're the same word. Um, and the point is that I think what James is trying to say is that when we fail the test, we shouldn't be blaming God for that. When we sin... It's because we want to sin, not because God is encouraging us to sin. So the logic is God is not tempted by evil. And therefore, it's never occurs to him. It's not in his intention that when he puts us into these situations that we go and do the evil. He's not enticing us to do those uh, evil things. What he wants us to do is to do, do it his way. 
He wants us to do the right thing. In other words, he's trying to get us to pass the test. He's never setting a test that it's impossible for us to pass. So you never come into a situation or a time in life where you go, I have to sin. I've got no choice here. God has led me to this. And, I, you know, what were you thinking, God? I have to, I, there's no other choice for me but to sin. That's never, ever the case. And that's what James is trying to uh, bring to our attention. We can't blame God when we fail the test. And he's, in fact, he says the only one we can blame is ourselves. It's our own evil desires, or in fact, the original is just our desires. It's our desires that are fault in uh, verses 14 to 15. And it's a bit like the, the bait and hook idea when you go out fishing. Remember how, what attracts the fish to the hook? Well, it's not the hook. It's the bait. Uh, and the, the, the fish sees the bait. It's enticed by the bait. And it goes for the bait. But unfortunately, there's a hook that's behind it and he hooks it. And, and in the same way, uh, James is saying uh, that's like it uh, when it comes to our desires. Our desires see a potential temptation and it goes for it. It bites. <laughs> that's what causes us to bite. And when we're, we bite, we're hooked by sin. That's when uh, sin is formed. And He's basically saying sin left unchecked, allowed to grow, you're not going to let, let go, uh, will lead to death. Think of the original sin. So go back all the way to Genesis 3, uh, where Adam and Eve are in the garden and Eve is tempted by Satan. What happens? Well, in Genesis 3, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, notice these things, the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, so there's an enticement there. And then it says, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. There's a desire that wells within her to gain something from it. It's promising something. And our desires go after it. She took some and she ate it. So she looks, she's tempted. Uh, her desires well, it promises wisdom. Um, in our case, it could be promising pleasure, money, whatever it is that it's promising and so we decide to go for it, even though we know God says not to. We, we hear the word of God, it says don't do it, but we go ahead and we deliberately do it. That's the way the desires and the sin work within us. There's a, a double-mindedness at play in the whole thing, notice. Um, we've got a choice. We hear the word of God, it says go this way. And then we have our own desires or the ways of the world, as James goes on to also add in there. And we decide to go with that rather. Same event. We've got two options. We go that way. Um, that's the way that sin and desire work within us on a regular basis. And we need to realize that when we sin, it's because we choose to sin against God. Why? Because we think that God will not satisfy my desires. He's not going to give me what I want. He's, he's not interested in what's best for me. I decide what's best for me. And therefore, I go that way. So, I mean, we don't often think that way. Uh, but let me, let me give you an example. Um, I've, got the, I've got the option of telling the truth. I know that God says to me, tell the truth in all circumstances. 
But I'm thinking to myself, in this particular circumstance, if I tell the truth, then all hell's going to break loose. It's going to be really miserable for me. My parents are going to ground me for the next 10 years or whatever the consequences might be. And therefore, I think at this particular moment, I'm thinking, God, I know that's what you're saying will be best for me, but I don't think you're right. I think I know better in this particular situation. And I think in this particular situation, a lie is warranted because that will achieve the outcome that my own desires want for me. That is the pathway, therefore, that I'm going to go. Now, I'm not saying that every time we, we're, that's a conscious process that's going on in our heads. I'm actually saying that's in reality what's going on in our hearts. We, we know, God says, but I think, therefore, I'm going to go that way. Does that make sense? Um, you can ask me questions about that later. Um, but notice what James says in verse 13. Don't be deceived. What have I done in that situation? I've deceived myself into thinking that this action is actually the best way for me. Because what he says is everything that's good comes from God because that is the type of God he really is. Our problem is that we often think evil of God. I'm thinking, you knew what you were saying. And in this situation, telling the truth is going to bring a lot of grief down on my head. Therefore, I don't think you're that good. <laughs> I don't think you're that wise. I think I know better. But every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father. Uh, he doesn't, um, well, I'm thinking he doesn't want what's best for me, but he doesn't want what's bad for me. That's the reality. He wants what's best for me. But in the thick of trial, I regularly say, why God? I regularly say, I don't think you do. I regularly doubt his goodness and therefore his wisdom and therefore his authority to dictate to me at that particular moment why I should do that very thing. So... If I don't think God's going to provide me the good that I want at this particular time, I'll provide it for myself. I'll take and do what I need to do. But right from the start, James is telling us to consider it all joy when we face trials. We need to change our attitude to trials because changing our attitude to trials will actually mean that we change our attitude about God as well in the process. God is not a killjoy. He is not trying to make it hard for me. That's not what he's doing when he confronts me with a trial he want doesn't just want to make me uncomfortable he doesn't just want to take away from me what i find pleasing and pleasurable or or what i um you know the comforts of life or ease or whatever it is and i really desperately want a relationship whatever it is he wants what's best for me and what's best for me is to be more and more like jesus because if i'm more and more like jesus i will get everything that jesus gets that's the promise he will provide me with the inheritance that he himself will have. That's the promise. All right. Um, he is, God is just taking us through temporary pains in order that we can um, have eternal gains. Temporary pains for eternal gains. All right. Any questions on that? So, all right. Let's have a look at uh, verses 19 to 21. Um, where we get some interesting advice. So just in small groups now, or twos or threes, um, how do you understand uh, verse 19? 
uh, particularly um, how have you heard it explained to you in the past and also how do you think you understand it in the context of James chapter 1. Okay, so just in twos and threes and I'll uh, get you back in one minute. So quickly get onto it, don't dilly-dally around. All right, uh, any, um, anyone want to volunteer an answer? We've heard, well, we were saying we've heard it often in relation to people around us and how, you know, to not be angry, yep. to be slow to angry in your relationships with other people. Yep, and quick to listen, all that. Mm -hmm. Yep, cool. Anyone else heard it? Or in the context of James, what, what, um, what do you think it's saying? How does it fit? Often when we're faced with trials and tribulations, we're very we're very quick to use that context to inform how we address the situation, specifically in our words. So yeah. I think understanding that we're probably going to not say the right thing if we just speak on impulse with our own context and not you know, listen first. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's right. So who should we be listening to? Yeah, God and His Word. Fantastic. Um, yeah, like it is good advice, I think, in the context of relationships, isn't it? Um, uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Great advice for any particular relationship that you have. And uh, the Proverbs is full of that. I, um, I was listening to the radio the other day and um, someone ch chipped in with an old piece of advice, which I think most of us know, based on this. God gave us two ears and one mouth, so can anyone finish it off? Yeah, listen twice as much as you speak. Um, uh, use it in proportion, whatever it is that you uh, know. Um, and Proverbs, like I said, has a lot to say on it, uh, particularly the idea of being slow to speak. But I think the listening that James has in mind is primarily listening to God, listening to God's word. Because have a look at verse 22. So I want to read the first bit of verse 22 for me. What does it say? Do not merely listen to the word. Yeah. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And we'll come to that in a tick. But it's primarily about listening uh, to the word. And the, the point that's made is in the thicker trials, um, think Israel in the wilderness. What did Israel do again and again when they were in the wilderness and they came up against a trial? Um, uh, they grumbled. They complained. They were quick to speak up against God, against Moses. And it just led to a revolt, to, it led to sin. Um, you know, we have a tendency when we are facing a difficult to blame God, blame our parents, blame the system, blame everyone but ourselves. Um, a bit like when Adam was confronted by God, you know, did you eat? And he said, well, the woman you put here, they're to, to blame, not me. It's your fault. It's her fault. It's not my fault. And so it is with all of us in those situations. That's what we tend to do. We're quick to speak. We're quick to get angry and revolt against God. And in verse 20, it becomes very clear that if we do it that way, it does not lead to the righteous life that God desires for us. In fact, it's the very opposite of verse 2. Consider it all joy when you've, um, because what God is seeking to achieve in us is maturity our faith to be strengthened and refined and what actually happens is i just fly off the handle <laughs> the, the very exact opposite i'm more like, unlike jesus at that particular time than any any other time in my life 
um, and it gets worse. But the best thing to do, you see, in those times is to slow down, is to listen to God's word. And this is where uh, the memory verses come in handy, you see. Listen to even other Christians who want to encourage you to submit to God's word at that point. Listen to the way that God wants you to react. Verse 21 makes it very clear. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Get rid of all moral filth and evil. That's the normal worldly reaction to facing a a situation, a difficult situation, a trial that we're we're confronted with. It's our knee-jerk reactions, isn't it, Um, when we're faced with these kinds of trials, is is to react in a real negative way, to not react according to the way that God wants us uh, to react when we're facing these temptations. And there are bad habits. And I can, you know, if I went around and asked each and every, you, you would think, and just imagine I'm asking each and every single, what is the bad habit that you go to when you're faced with a, a difficulty in life rather than turn to God at that time? What, what do you normally do? What's your knee-jerk reaction at those times? Is it gossip, slander? Is it picking up the phone and bitching to a friend or is it complaining to your pastor is it what is it that you normally do at those times is it to go on the line online and and look at things that you know you shouldn't as a form of escapism what is it for you and james is actually saying to us get rid of it chuck it out the idea is don't just put it away for a later time (laughs) But throw it out altogether. Like if um, if you're in a if you have a fiance and uh, the fiance says to you, "I really don't like that shirt that you're wearing." My advice to you wouldn't be to go home, take it off, and put it in the back of the closet just in case it doesn't really work out with her or him. Because I think that's a bad attitude. That's really not the way to go with that, isn't it? What you want to do is you want to act in a way that cements the relationship, that moves you forward in the relationship, that enables you that relationship to flourish. And this is kind of what James is saying. We're in a relationship with God here. And the idea is not just put it aside for a later time, but to throw it out all together. What are we to do instead? Verse 21. Anyone? What are we to do instead? Yes, so humbly accept the word that's planted in you. Interesting um, idea there, but it's planted in you. Um, What word is that, do you think, that was planted in us? Yeah, the gospel, because he's talking about the word that can save you. Um, So it's the gospel in particular um, uh, that he's talking about. It's the gospel that puts us into a uh, right relationship with God. But all the Bible really is God's word. Yeah, obviously uh, we accept that, particularly if we're evangelicals. Um, That's what we accept. Um, um, But fundamental to our relationship with God, therefore, is notice submitting to his authority, to his word. Because notice that word humbly. What attitude should I have to the Bible? And this is really important for us, even in our Bible study of small groups, 
uh, whenever we approach the Bible. What attitude should I have when it comes to the Bible? Well, yes, we want you to come in and we want you to be able to pull it apart so that you can understand it better. But you've got to realize that when you come to the Bible, you're not a critic who sits over it. We, we're often taught that by our education system to be a critic and sit over a text. And in, in a sense, we want you to pick up the skill so that we better understand what's being said. But we're never over the Bible as if, as if God is subject to us, as if we can judge what God says. And, oh, I don't like that bit. And he's wrong about that. Or he's right about this because I say he's right. That's not the way it works when it comes to the Bible. What instead we've got to do is to be students who sit under the word and allow it to judge us, humbly accept the word that was planted uh, within us. Your approach to the Bible is critical. Isaiah 66.2 is another memory verse I learnt, um, and it's about the word of God. This is the one I esteem, or the one I favour, the new translations put. He who is humble and contrite and who, anyone know? The rest, who trembles at my word. God esteems the one who trembles at his word. Do you tremble at God's word? Do you realize who it is who's speaking to you when you come to the Bible? Who's actually not just suggesting this is the best way to live, but commanding you to go this way? Because he can. That's his right. He's the maker of the universe. He's your creator. And not just your creator, but he calls you, uh, James calls him our father. It's not that he's just dictating because he can. He's our heavenly father who's telling us and, and commanding us because he loves us. He wants what's best for us. Back to my memory verse, Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The most tempting thing to do in life, particularly when you face a hard time, is to work things out for yourself. But you're in a relationship with Jesus. You're in a relationship with God. And in a relationship, you work things out together. And we've got to recognize that our relationship is not just like with another equal, with my wife, who's on the same level as me, human to human. But I'm in a relationship with the God of the universe who made everything. He's the one who made me. He's the one who made the whole... And I didn't... He didn't consult me when he made the universe. He didn't ask for my opinion and my advice on how uh, to, to construct the cells that go on in my body and the, the way the universe is made up and um, how things will work out in the end. He's on a completely different level. Now, how arrogant of me to think that I know better than him about any given situation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What James wants you to do is to trust God with all your heart and to grow in that trust with God. Now, it's easier to say yes, yes, yes to God's word, but as we've seen, it's, it's hard to do. What's the danger for us in particular in verse 22? Someone um, read verse 22 for us out loud. 
do what it says. Notice uh, the self-deception is the danger really back in uh, verse 16 and it comes up again in verse 26. Uh, James thinks it's very possible for Christians to deceive themselves. Um, Self-deception is a big problem um, and that Christians regularly engage in. Uh, we think we're on the right track. We know the right things, but we're delusional, James says. You're delusional. Uh, we say that God is good, but when the tough times come along, uh, we don't act that way. We don't follow God's ways. We go our own way. We're deluded when that happens. You're deluded. We say that we submit to God's word. We listen to it. We study it. We dissect it so we really understand it. But we can do all that and still deceive ourselves. I can affirm so confidently the scriptures and God's ways. But in the thick of a situation, that's the real test. There is a big danger, I think, for us as uh, evangelicals because we're very committed to understanding the Bible, aren't we? We're very big on orthodoxy. That is right thinking about God, about, the, uh, about his word. We want to think the right way. Mind is very important to us as evangelicals and rightly so. I don't want to uh, dismiss that. But just as, um, as much as we're committed to orthodoxy, we ought to be committed to what other people would call orthopraxy. That is right action committing what we know, committing it to practice. And that's what James is trying to encourage us to do. We're big on orthodoxy as evangelicals, but if we admit it and are honest with ourselves, we're not so big on orthopraxy. We're far more likely to, to harp on about the orthodoxy, right belief, right teaching, right doctrine, not so big on the other stuff. And James's warning to us is that we can easily delude ourselves and be delusional. Uh, we're in danger of deceiving ourselves if we don't do what it says and make a practice of it, put it into practice, make a habit of it. And he gives us an illustration in verse 23, like looking at yourself in a mirror and forgetting uh, what you look like. Now, I know some of you are wonderfully good looking here. And uh, so you, when you look at the mirror, you're there and you're admiring yourself, yeah? Um, I'm a lost cause when it comes to the mirror. Uh, and so when I look in the mirror, it's about trying to work out what thing can I do to make myself look a little bit more presentable, yeah? And even then it doesn't pay off that much, really. But that's why I look into a mirror, and I think that's why a lot of us do look into a mirror. But can I say, when it comes to your spiritual self, when it comes to your heart, well, the Bible is a mirror for us. And it's saying you've got to take a long look at yourself in the mirror, and compare yourself to Jesus, and I've got to say, you're not looking so good. You may look wonderful on the outside, but on the inside, we've all got a long way to go. I was going to use a catchphrase that I heard on my son uh, when he was playing this movie the other day, and the guy said, you're you ugly, you ugly. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's the way I often feel when I compare myself to Jesus by reading the Word of God. I am. I've got a long way to go. But the danger for me is to immediately say, oh, yes, I know that, and then walk away and do nothing about it. Especially when God's word has actually given me something to do. And that's the point of um, what James is trying to say. Do something about it. God is interested in our hearts. 
We look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And compared to Jesus, we've got a lot of work to do. Now notice that James speaks about God's law in verse 25. And how does he describe it to us? It's really fascinating to me. How does he describe it? Perfect and? Of freedom. Yeah. Two words that I normally wouldn't associate. Perfect, though, links back to verse 2 and verse 3. It's the same word for maturity or completion or perfection, depending on which way your translation went. Um, and freedom, well, often we talk about the law enslaving people um, because it's all about what we must do to live under it. Uh, we've got to do everything, otherwise we won't live um, according to it. But as a reflection of God's character, read as Christian literature, that is, we recognize that, that um, we can't live by it, but read as Christian literature where we recognize this is a reflection of the character of God and therefore the character of Jesus and therefore how we ought to live up to that, then what we, what we need to realize is that through the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives, seeking to change us into that character of God, it's actually making us more and more liberated. It's freeing us to live the lives that we truly ought to live. It's a bit like being on a train track, you know, or a train being on a track and, and thinking, oh, I want freedom and going off the tracks. It's not free when it's off the tracks. But put on the tracks designed for what it's you know the very purpose it was made for it's got enormous it can go huge distances and go e everywhere and anywhere uh, as a result of being on or a fish out of water is not free but in water it is there's great freedom to be had and this is we were made to be like jesus and there's great liberation great truth great freedom to be found in that um, i find that when i do it god's way there is great joy to be had and you discover when you do it his way, even sometimes reluctantly, actually it is a lot better. And God's ways are really good. And they, they liberate me from a weight of guilt and sin that normally oppresses me. And on and on I could go about that. Um, uh, the promise of verse 25 is that when we do what God's word says, we're blessed in all we do. Because God's ways are best for us. Wouldn't it be great? I often think of this. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a world where people didn't lie to each other? Or abuse one another? Or cheat on one another so that you know, they end up getting divorced or, or whatever? Or where drunk drivers didn't crash into others and kill people? Wouldn't that be great if that was the world that we lived in? But often I think of the people out there that should be doing that thing and not me. <laughs> and James is saying, well, it can actually give you great blessing as well in your own life if you seek to live God's ways. Problem is I often want everyone else to do it that way, but I want to have the freedom of doing what I want to do all the time. It doesn't work. All right, we've, um, we've run out of time, so we'll leave it there. Uh, and we'll finish off uh, the next section uh, next week. But let me quickly pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that uh, you've given us your word, you've implanted it within us. Help us to humbly receive it. Help us to be listeners of, you, of, of the word and doers as well. Uh, we pray that we would not lean on our own understanding, 
uh, when it comes to the trials, but seek to trust you in every way. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.